Well, hey, we are in this three-week series, and we're wrapping it up, uh, Pray, Give, Go. Say it with me. Pray, give, go. So we talked about pray the first week and then give last weekend and, and this weekend is go. And so I, uh, I have another video to show you. That's always fun. If, if you weren't here, just to put the backdrop, our staff did a bunch of videos on pray, give, go, like a cheer or a chant. It was hilarious. We had so much fun. And then we had a, a small group, a middle school girls group that did a, a cheer last week. And this one's very unique. We haven't seen anything like this so far. This guy's name, I don't know how old Parker is, but Parker Noland, take a look. What about that one, huh? <laughs> oh, I think that is wonderful. I love stuff like that. You know, when I, when I, I think of a track meet, when I have weekends like this for, for Timberline, because it's the, like, take your mark, get set, and I look at 2019, and I just, I feel like I, I just, I'm saying, go, you know, and, and all the stuff that's out there for us to explore in 2019, and I'm very excited about it. Well, when pastors have beginning of the year series like this, especially with a topic like going, they're going to go to a passage in the Bible that they always go to, and it's, it's, it's appropriate. It's Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I'm not going to go there today. And here's what happened. I originally started to go there, and I just started looking and building an outline and praying, and I've been reading in my devotions some passage in Galatians, and that just kept coming to my mind. And here's, here's what it was based on. It was based on the fact that Timberline Church, you already go. Why would I stand up here and say, go? I mean, you don't, you don't meet a marathon runner at the end of the race and say, you should run a marathon. <laughs> you guys go, and you do it really well. And so today, I want to explore something a little bit different than just the mandate to go into all the world. Here's what it is. I want to ask you this question. How can we not grow weary in well-doing? And that's the Galatians passage. How can we keep doing good and being the people God is calling us to be and not burn out? I don't want to rust out or burn out. I want to obey. So I have, I, have, I have a lot of things and thoughts that I think might help us as a church to appreciate the going part of who we are as a church. And you can make application to this in your life too. You're busy people. Most people are. And so how can I have rest when I'm busy, how can I live healthy enough to see the opportunity all around me? Number one, in your outline, if you have a program, turn it over or use your, your device. Spiritual health starts with assessment. It always does. You know, your health, even you go to the doctor, you get a checkup. You get blood work. They go, we find this, 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 and this. These are just facts. This is just how it is. So spiritual health starts with you assessing where you really are. In Galatians chapter 6, if you want to hold your Bible open, feel free. We're going to go verse by verse. Verse 7 says this, and Paul's talking to the church in Galatia. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. In other words, he has set in motion truth that you can't change. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. How many of you have ever planted anything? 
Okay, most of you. Anybody plant tomatoes? What grew? Were you stunned? I planted tomatoes and tomatoes grew. Oh no. No, you knew it would because that's what you planted. And in our world today, what's happening is Paul's using an analogy of planting in the earth like a farmer understands these rules. And then he's using emotional truth saying like hate produces more hate. If you plant anger, you're going to have a harvest of anger. If you plant joy, you're going to have a harvest of joy. Generosity produces more generosity. You're going to get what you plant. That's what he's saying in every aspect of life. So the assessment is this. What am I planting? If you just took a couple seconds now and, and said, what, am I, what, would, what would my family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, what would they say I plant in them when we talk? What do you plant? And why do you plant? Maybe, most people don't even know what they plant. They don't know they're this or that or the other. But that's why assessment is important. Knowing what you're planting matters. So figure that out. What does it mean for a church like Timberline Church? We plant seeds every day. I want to give you just a few examples of, of how we try to plant good, healthy seeds. How many times have you heard me say, or, or other pastors up here, Thank God there are many wonderful Bible-believing churches in northern Colorado. Because we're not exclusive. We don't want to be the only church. We, we know that we're not. We're not a fit for everybody. Thank God there's some healthy churches in northern Colorado. And there's really only one church, God's church, in the entire world. And if we know that, we should. that's planting healthy seeds. It, it builds unity instead of disunity. As a matter of fact, we need more churches. It's, I hate this stat, and I'm praying about it. It's not okay in my spirit. But if you added up everybody that goes to church in Fort Collins, in every church, even if they aren't a great church, or even if they aren't even a Christ, if they're just called a church, you add up all the attendance, you still have 90% of our community that don't go to church. Is that okay with you? That's not okay with that, with me. You have more believers than that, but they just haven't found that place to land in a local fellowship. Wow, we've got, we need more churches. We respect people's journey at Timberline. You can be an atheist and come to Timberline. And we've had many who have, just to learn, to grow, to learn about us. You don't have to share our convictions or believe the Bible is, is true to come to Timberline. You're going to feel loved. You're going to feel cared for. You can be homeless and come to Timberline. We care about the homeless and the poor. We care about helping people start over. And that's you. You're friendly. You say hi. You care. You see needs. That's you. You're already going. You're already doing that. But that's important that we continue to do that. Number two in your outline, we have options in the way we live. We have options. You could also put choices. We make choices every day about how we're going to live our lives in affecting others. Now, I'm going to read from verse 8. It says this. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature. How many of you have one of those? We all have one of those. They will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, how many of you know you can do that? They will harvest everlasting life 
from the Spirit. We make decisions every day that impact our harvest. And we need to know that. It doesn't just happen automatically. We are born with the ability to make decisions concerning how we live. And here's the problem. We all have a sinful nature. And that's a fact. You will have this struggle the rest of your life. It's not natural to pray for your enemies. Your sinful nature won't do that. It's not natural to offer mercy instead of judgment. That's not going to happen. It's not natural to care for people that don't care for you. In other words, you are not born with these abilities. These abilities are supernatural. They come from the spirit of the living God. And if you don't have the spirit ruling in your life, you will default into the sinful nature. And you will not make good decisions about what you plant. And you will have harvest that is not what God wants you to have. And it's uphill all the time. I had a, a great experience in middle school in my life in Grand Junction, Colorado. I had an orange 10-speed Schwinn bicycle that I saved up to buy for $99. And I loved it. And I rode to school most days when the weather allowed me to. And so we had this big hill. We lived on this little place called Little Park Court. And, and it had this big about one-mile hill that had several switchbacks, and it was pretty steep. I hated that hill. But I sure loved going down it. So every morning going to school, man, I looked forward to coming over the crest of that hill, and boom, off you would go. No pedaling, no work, air in your face. You get down to that stop sign, you just blow by it. You just, no, oh, no, you stop. <laughs> oh, I'm not even going to comment on cycling. Anyway, um, coming back home from school, oh, I dreaded it every day. I knew it was coming. And in all those years of climbing that hill, it never got less steep. It never changed. It never went away. Matter of fact, it's still there today. That's the sinful nature. It's forever. As long as we are not with God in our redeemed bodies, we will fight the sinful nature. And that's a challenge because this is also why we have angry Christians in the world. Let me, let me just let me preface that by saying this. Christians sometimes get really grumpy because they don't like the world that we're living in and they see sin abound. And they don't want sin to abound. Amen? So we are, we are wanting righteousness to abound. We're praying to that and we're believing God. And it seems like it's getting worse and not better. And so it's frustrating. So in my frustration, if I'm not careful, I start posting things that are very angry. Now, what I'm inside, I think it's justified because it's truth. It's, it's Bible. And, but what happens is that uphill climb and that journey for people, and they see the world and the lack of morality and the lack of Bible truth and knowledge and illiteracy and all that stuff, suddenly you have Christians who take on the sinful nature in order to try to bring correction to all those sinners. And it's not going to work. Why? Because love is the only thing that works for those who do not know God. Jesus loved those people. You know the people he rebuked? He rebuked the believers. That's who, that's who killed him. <laughs> so we have to be really careful to pay attention to what's going on in us about that sinful nature and how it comes out. Light works best in darkness. 
You know, I love, I love flashlights. This, I know this is stupid, but I love a powerful flashlight. They make them now, these LED flashlights, like 1,800 lumens are only this big. And you go outside at night and it's like, just amazing. I mean, it's like Star Wars, you know. And if you take a powerful flashlight and you go outside on a beautiful sunny blue sky day in Colorado and you point it at the sun, you're not even going to see the beam. Because it has to be dark. So we have to turn the light on in the darkness, not just curse the darkness. And Paul is trying to really make us understand that. Now, I want to get to the point that I want to spend the most time with you about, and that's number three. There is always a risk of weariness. You and I risk becoming weary in well-doing, and that's the passage I'm about to read when Paul says that. You've probably heard that phrase before. Don't become weary in well-doing. I just want to say that this could happen to all of us, and this happens to churches. Churches get weary, they get burnt out, they get tired, and then they start bickering among themselves because they don't like the carpet, they don't like the chairs, they become ingrown, and they're just thinking about themselves. They've stopped going. They've stopped seeing the potential of ministry and planting and harvesting the right thing. Verse 9, Paul says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we what? If we don't give up. So I want to work really hard to help you not to grow weary. Now, I've asked our pastors this past Wednesday in our pastor's meeting, I said, tell me when you got weary. Tell me a story of weariness, and, uh, and I, I, may, I may be able to use it. <laughs> J-Matt, Justin Matthews, J-Matt, that's what we call him, J-Matt, a pastor of middle school students, told a story, and I said, J-Matt, you have to tell that on the weekend. J-Matt, come up, come up here. This, I'm calling this story J-Matt and the Horse That Grew Weary. Hi, guys. Hey, so whenever I was in college, I was a sophomore in college, I led a trip to Buena Vista, Colorado, to a camp where I took a bunch of high school guys. And um, every year we go, and you have to do this horseback ride, and I'm just going to stop there. And if you love horses, that's great. That's awesome. But I don't. So let's just be cool with you liking them and me not. All right? We don't need to have a conversation out there about horses because uh, I'm going to tell you to your face I don't like them. Anyway, all right, not a horse guy. Every year I have to do this horseback riding. I don't even pretend like I want to do it. So we're heading up there, and all these high school boys are with me, and they're asking everybody what skill level they are to get them on the right horse. And, of course, every kid's lying and saying, I'm a cowboy and all this stuff. And I'm like, you're, you live a block from me. You're not a cowboy. And it's just crazy, and all the kids are getting these horses. And then they come to me. And I'm like, clearly don't want to be there. And I just say, I would like the oldest, slowest horse you have. And so the lady just kind of looks at me and then looks back in the stable and goes, all right, get him Chex Mix. And all of a sudden, this horse named Chex Mix walks out and I'm staring this horse right in his melting face. And, he, and I just say, is this the oldest, slowest horse you have? And she said, he may die halfway through the ride. <laughs> And then I look at Chex Mix and say, all right, bucko, we're in this together. And so I hop up on Chex Mix and we start in that little line and I'm holding that brown little stump thing. And so um, <laughs> we're, we're heading off into the woods and I'm just bouncing along and just complaining the whole time. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my horse has apparently grown weary of doing what is good. And my horse just turns and walks off into the woods. 
And I'm going, no, 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 checks mix. Follow your friends. No, no, I don't need this. You know what to do. Head on. And he just keeps walking. And I'm going, stop. Go that way. And I'm holding that stump, and all of a sudden we turn, and, and I'm, all of a sudden I just see my, find myself by myself in the woods with a horse that's eating grass. And so the guy that's, lead, that's like leading the trip, he's in the back, and he just, I just hear him go, hey, just give him a kick. Are you crazy? I'm not going to kick this horse. I, I, I don't make it a habit of just kicking 3,000-pound beasts that I'm at the mercy of. In my, like, in my mind, I tap it once, and I just sail off into the sunset, leaping fences. And so I'm like, I'm not going to kick a horse. Are you crazy? And he's like, okay. And then they just leave. <laughs> it's like no one knows how to stop on a horse. They just go. And I'm just in there, and I'm like, hey, it's just me and you now, man. Like, like I checks, So I was like, all right, checks mix. The ride is over. And so I hop off of the horse and I walk a mile and a half back to the barn, and I just leave that horse in the woods. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Thanks to J-Matt right there with you. <sighs> Aren't you glad he told it and not me? Just, that's why I said you have to tell it. Yeah, Chex Mix is still out there somewhere. <laughs> so, so ways to stay fresh. In your outline, I just think it's really important not to grow weary in well-doing. And all of us do, I mean, there is a, a point here when it's okay to be tired. That's not a sin or anything, it's, but you need to recognize it. And so what are some, and there's, ton more than, there's a ton more than what I'm going to give you, but this is a starting place. Number one, identify what makes you tired. Literally, identify, if I, if even right now, matter of fact, take 30 seconds and, and just write two things down, either in your mind if you're not writing stuff down or, or on your paper or whatever, that, that just make you tired. For instance, my, my two that I did was watching the news. Now, I need to watch the news as a pastor, I get that, but it just makes me tired. It wears me out. The other one was being around negative people. Just, it wears me out. It's just tired. I have to be around negative people sometimes. That's okay, but it makes me tired. Identify two things real fast. What makes you tired? This is just a starting point. If you could come up with a couple of things and then expand that list over the next week and then do those at a minimum. Do them when you have to. And you're going to have to do some of the things on that list. But if you're doing a lot of it, then make sure you find the things that refill your tank. And do those so that you don't live with 5% of fuel in the tank. And it's on empty all the time. When you're on empty, everything changes. You're not going to have a reservoir of hope, of patience, of life, of joy. And what's going to come out in that harvest is what you plant. And so you have to pay attention. Number two, find a rhythm in life that works for you. Find a rhythm. Say, well, what's a rhythm? I believe you have daily rhythms Weekly, monthly, there's books written about this stuff, okay? Research it if you want to. But let me, here's a couple examples. I'm a morning person where if, I, if I'm going to get my biggest, toughest challenges done, I want to do them in the morning. If it's thinking power. I build sermons in the morning. I write vision down for Timberline. I pray in the mornings. I, I feel like I can give my best work in that category early in the morning because I'm just wired. I'm just ready to go. But... 
after about 8 o'clock at night, don't ask me to write a sermon, right? Don't ask me to go communicate somewhere. I just, I just sort of shut down. I have two kids, however. Bonnie and I have two, two of our children who in high school days, they, they like woke up about 8 o'clock at night and went until about 2 in the morning. Anybody relate to that? It was like their best time. And I'm like, go to bed. They're wired different. And you're wired differently. So you need to pay attention to those rhythms in your life and take advantage of when you're your best at this and your worst at this and do the right things as much as you can. Obviously, we can't control our schedules completely. Number three, find healthy starting and stopping points. I, I just can't emphasize this enough. Every year, one of my rituals is when January comes, I say, all right, what can I stop doing now that I've been doing most of the year? And that could be leadership. It could be a, a bunch of stuff. It, and what am I going to start doing that I haven't been doing? And it just gives me a clean slate. It's refreshing to me to go, I'm going to stop doing that. I don't need to do that anymore. And, and it's just permission. I had a, a funny thing Bonnie was reminding the other day. We were talking about this, and she had just shared a story with some of her U-Count leaders. Some of you may have been there about the glasses in the, the cupboard. And Erica, our daughter, one of our daughters who is married to Brent, they live in Arizona, an awesome couple. They were, they were they're a real team. They were unloading the dishwasher, and Erica was turning the glasses over upside down and putting them on the shelf. And Brent was putting them right side up on the shelf. And Brent said, why do you turn the glasses upside down when you put them on the shelf? And Erica said, well, because that's what you're supposed to do. And Brent said, well, I didn't know that. Why are you supposed to? She said, I don't know. My mom and dad always did it that way. <laughs> so she said, let me call my mom. So she called Bonnie, my wife, and she said, why do you and dad always turn the glasses upside down when you put them on the shelf? And, and Bonnie said, well, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and, and, and she said, but, but why? And Bonnie said, well, I really don't know, that's, but that's how my mom did it. Let me call my mom. And so when she, she was living at the time, and Bonnie called her and said, Mom, why do you turn the glasses upside down when you put them on the shelf? And, and Beverly said, well, we lived in Costa Rica and Panama, and no matter how clean your house is, there's little critter bugs and stuff in, in those parts of the world that you just can't get them out of your house or cabinets. And so if you turn your glass upside down, none of them can get in there. That's why I turned them upside down. So I just officially want you to know you do not have to turn your glass upside down. <laughs> You can stop doing something because you probably don't have bugs that are going to get inside your glass. But I'm going to turn them upside down because I know there's a creepy thing that's going to get in there if I don't, right? Stop doing some things. Start doing some things. Why are you doing what you're doing? Stopping and starting is a good practice. Now, number four, stay connected with others. Stay connected with other people. Weariness often happens because I am trying to do life alone. And it's not a good idea to do that. Example, Jesus is the son of God. He's God. And, he's, and he, he gets 12 guys around him. And he does life, his whole ministry he does with them. Why? He's God. Does he need them? Yeah. He does. He says to them, pray with me. Wake up. Pray some more. <laughs> Hold me up here. Come with me here. Let's do this. 
He sends them out. Why? Because he knows he needs other people in his life. Connect with the right people. And ask yourself the question, am I connecting with the right people? Number four in your main outline, last, last main point here. Very big point, and I really want you to hear this. Here I am, or there you are, can become a lifestyle. Here I am, or there you are, can become a lifestyle. Let me say it like this. When you walk into a room, does your attitude say, here I am? Or does your attitude say, there you are? How many of you realize there's a really big difference between those two things? Huge. Huge. Verse 10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those who are in the family of faith. Opportunity is something that you see when you're looking for it. Here I am, people don't see opportunity. They see themselves. There you are, people watch constantly for opportunity to help and serve other people. I, I was in a, a I, this has been so many years ago now, it doesn't expose who, who the person was, but years ago, we used to go, we used to charter a bus with a group that I'm a part of and go skiing up at Mary Jane and Winter Park, and we had our annual ski trip, and, and we would go up there and ski, and we, the bus driver said, four o'clock, we're leaving. So everybody's getting off the bus, four o'clock. Everyone understand, we said it together, it was kind of became a joke. Four o'clock, don't be late, we gotta get off the mountain at four. So it's four o'clock, everybody's on the bus, everybody, except one guy. It's 4.05, it's 4.10, and these are professionals who are used to getting their way, they're not real happy right now. It's 4.15, it's 4.20. Finally, we called the the ski patrol to see if he had an accident, if everything is okay, no problems. Around 4.30, he comes walking up the steps of the bus. Hey, great day skiing, huh, everybody? No problem, no, I'm sorry, no, nothing. And someone on the bus said, well, hello, Mr. Mr. Center of the Universe. (laughs) It was not me that said that. And I've remembered that because sometimes we don't realize how self-centered we actually become. Here I am is a terrible habit. And I just want to, I have to tell you, you're a there you are church. That's why I don't have to preach on go. I just have to say stay, you know, stay fresh. Because you guys go, let me give you some examples of this. In November, we came to you and we said, we have a busy Christmas Eve day. We have six services here at this campus, and we need a little bit of help. Ushers, greeters, people. You don't normally do this, but do you know that 218 people walked out to that counter and signed up to help us just for Christmas Eve because of one moment of asking? You decided, I can help. I can do that. And you did. And we had one of the most beautiful, flowing Christmas Eve six services with over 11,000 people from our community and our campuses. Why? Because you said, there you are. 
You, you decided to get out of yourself. We give. You guys is giving. It goes to Africa. We give to Asia Pacific, Eurasia, Europe. We have missionaries. Um, we give to a general fund that's global. We give to Latin America, Northern Asia. We give to local missions, all kinds of agencies here in Northern Colorado. Over a million dollars last year you guys gave in offerings and care to care for people. You're going through giving. You're going. You took missions trip. We we had, guess, guess what, last Thursday, last Thursday, just a few days ago, this building had 4,000 students in it. There were buses everywhere. I've learned to avoid that day. <laughs> and the symphony, the Fort Collins Symphony was on this stage. And they work with these students to inspire them with, with music. And guess what? We, we, we offer our building for them to do that because you're a there you are church. We see the need. We don't charge them to do that. We have this great facility. Let's do it. Police and SWAT teams train in this building. Over 250 scheduled activities in this building every week, of which almost half are not related to Timberline Church activities. Why? Because you are a there you are church. We're working with CSU right now and the city of Fort Collins with affordable housing to find a way to develop some more affordable housing, even our back behind our parking lot areas. What can we do? It's expensive to live in this town. Would you agree? It's gone crazy and we need to help. Now, it's the most beautiful city in the world. In my opinion, I love this place. I'm, I'm addicted to it. It's, it's awesome and I want to live here. But we can help make a difference. Why? Because we're a there you are church. Last Thursday morning, while I was avoiding the students here, I was at Timberline Old Town Campus. And we have a prayer group of pastors who pastor churches here in Fort Collins. And we meet the third Thursday of every month. It's called Fort Collins Church Network. And we happened to meet at TOT Everyday Joe's this past Thursday. On ja in January, we always invite our mayor, Wade Troxell, and our city manager, Darren Atterbury. And we ask if we can pray over them. And we did, and I share these pictures with permission from them. But this is in Everyday Joe's, T-O-T, and this is Darren Atterbury and some pastors gathered around him praying for him to lead our city with godliness. That's our mayor, Wade Troxel, right there, who's joining hands and agreeing with and letting us pray. Both of these men are believers. I don't care if you agree with their politics or not. That doesn't matter. What matters is that they covet our prayers. And we need to be a church that says, there you are. We're praying for you. And I saw Darren somewhere over here early with Deb over here somewhere. But we, we love you guys. There you are. We love you guys hiding from me. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We're believing God with you. And Mayor, Mayor Way goes to First Presbyterian. And Corey, his pastor, is a very good friend of mine. We are partnering together. Our police chief needs our prayers. Our sheriff and deputies need our prayers. Our city council needs our prayers. Our state leaders need our prayers. Our national leaders need our prayers. Your neighborhood needs your commitment and your prayers. We are praying every Wednesday at noon. We have a five-minute devotional in the youth center. Join us if you want to. Partnering with 
places like the Alpha Center for women who are hurting, food banks, Serve 6-8, you count with, with sex trafficking and trying to get that out of our world. Next weekend, we have a whole weekend committed to it. Uh, homeless shelters, we support halfway houses, mental health agencies, suicide prevention. Why? Because you said, there you are, and you're making a difference, and the only thing I can do up here is to say, thank you, Timberline Church. God bless you. I mean that. God bless you. Last thing I want to say is this. We have a there you are God. We have a there you are God. Because he loved us, he saw us. And he sent his son to die for us. And God said, there you are. 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 And he knows you, whether you know him or not. And he loves you, whether you love him back or not. Let's pray. Lord, it's powerful that you are there. You are God. That's why we go. Thank you that this church hasn't become lazy or weary in well-doing. Start a fire in us, God, even afresh and new. And challenge those who maybe haven't gotten on that wave yet. And they're living more for themselves. And there might be a season for that. I get that. But don't let them stay there. Help them to get excited about serving and volunteering and being a part of something other than themselves. I thank you for it today, Lord. We need you. Would you just make a fresh commitment to God right now to say, Lord, I want to be a there you are person, a there you are friend, a there you are neighbor. And let's change our city one person at a time because we see them and we love them. Lord, we give all this to you in your name.